We are continuing on in a series called Baby Steps, and the reason I wanted to put this together is over the years of being a pastor and a Christian, uh, one of the things that I have seen or that I have experienced is that when you talk with people about being a Christian, about having a life of faith and walking with Christ, uh, many times they don't think it's possible. Uh, they look at their own lives and they compare it to what they think a good Christian life might look like. And uh, they think about it in terms of not me, couldn't possibly be me, and, uh, or you've got the wrong person. And rather than pursue Christ or seek God who wants them to follow, uh, they just kind of give up or fall into complacency or, or discount the need for it. And so uh, I put this together with the idea in mind of taking some small steps and um, finding some ones that are easy to identify and to follow through on. And last week, uh, we talked a little bit about the reality that most people find themselves in or that we all find ourselves in, which is um, described in Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks about how we are a people who have a law at work in our lives, a force at work in our lives that much like gravity draws us away from where we want to be, you know. And um, we talked about it in terms of sin. And Paul is at a place in Romans chapter 7 where he's saying things are so bad and things are so difficult for him uh, that he even cries out and he says, you know, who could possibly rescue me from this body of death. You know, that's how he describes his life in sin. He says, it's like, I know the good I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. Or that good stuff that I know I'm supposed to do, I don't follow through on. And he says, you know, it's just such a frustrating reality because I want to serve God, I want to do good things, and yet time and time again, I find myself failing to do so. And uh, we'll continue on in Romans next week, but I wanted to share with you a story from the book of Daniel uh, where we get a glimpse or we get an idea a little bit more of, of what that life that is far from God or has been overtaken by sin looks like. And it's such an important story, even though it's kind of an odd story, uh, because it gives us a, a vision and an idea of, of what it looks like. You know, many times when we talk about sin, uh, it has a lot of angry, judgmental associations with it, you know. When we talk about sin, many people have an idea of a pastor pounding on the pulpit and pointing his finger and trying to make people feel guilty, and um, that discounts the reality of, of what the Scriptures tell us and why God is at work in our world in the name of Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to have a better view of it, a better look at it, so we know exactly what we're working against and, and what God can do. And so I'm going to share with you this scripture from Daniel. And if you haven't read Daniel in a while, it's a powerful book. And we're going to be looking at the fourth chapter of Daniel. And in this particular case, it's kind of an odd story because many times the scripture stories we get are spoken by Moses or Abraham or Paul. And in this particular case, it's a first-person story from a pagan, from a king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. 
or Nebi, as his friends called him. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, that work, joke didn't work in the first service, but I'm not giving up. All right. So Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he is a very, very powerful guy, and he is the ruler of all things known. He has sent his armies to conquer everything that he could find, and uh, his city has prospered. His city is one of the wonders of the ancient world. Uh, things are good for him, and yet he's having trouble sleeping because he's been having some bad dreams. And one of the dreams he has uh, paints this vivid picture of a tree, and all of life revolves around this tree, and then it gets cut down, and um, Nebuchadnezzar is disturbed. So Nebuchadnezzar gathers up his advisors, his people, and he tells them about the dream. And they give a description, and they say, you know, boss, we don't know. Maybe it means one thing, maybe it means another thing. We don't know, you know. They're not much help. And then he asked Daniel. And when Daniel hears the vision, when Daniel hears this dream, he's afraid. It says uh, that he turns white, you know, with fear. And he begins to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream means. And he says, you know, you're, you're the tree. You're going to be cut down. But the trunk of the tree remains. The, the roots of it are still there, which means you'll be restored. And then Daniel tells him, he says, you need to get things right with God. The way you're living your life, the way things are going for you, not going well. And you need to turn your life around. And then we get to the scripture that we're going to read. It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. The king declared, isn't this Babylon the magnificent city that I built as the royal house by my own mighty strength and for my own majestic glory. These words haven't even left the king's mouth when a voice came from heaven. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, are now informed. Kingship is taken away from you. You will be driven away from other humans and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you acknowledge that the Most High dominates human kingship, giving it to anyone he wants. Nebuchadnezzar's sentence was immediately carried out. He was driven away from other humans and ate grass like cattle. Dew from heaven washed his body until he grew hair like eagle's feathers and claws like a bird. So like I said, it's kind of a strange story, but it really contains a lot of truth to it. What we find in here is that Nebuchadnezzar looks out on his city and he says, ain't it great? Ain't it wonderful? And he tells himself, you know, this is the best city. It is awesome. It's amazing. And uh, I did it all for, by myself. And it's all for my majesty, right? Um, when I think about Nebuchadnezzar, I was reminded for whatever reason of um, Bill Gates, the billionaire, and in one of the interviews, they asked him the question of, what is it like to have all that money? And Bill Gates said something to the effect of, I can buy anything, you know? And I was thinking, yeah, he could go on Amazon, order whatever he wanted, right? Uh, anything. And there's probably like the realities of, you know, that island's really nice. I think I'll own it, you know? Uh, and I think that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. He could do whatever he wanted to. And that all those resources 
everything that he had was for his pleasure and for his benefit. And when we read the scriptures, you know, he, he says it. He says, uh, I built as the royal house by my own mighty strength and for my own majestic glory. You know, why did you do it? Well, because I could and because it would make me famous. It would bring me glory, right? And um, he gets that, that idea in his head and it becomes his reality. And he probably got rid of anybody that would tell him otherwise. And um, even when Daniel tells him that he needs to change his life, even when Daniel speaks those words of truth to him, he doesn't change. And then, um, as the moment he says those words, they haven't even left the king's mouth when the voice from heaven, you are now informed, your kingship is taken away, you'll be driven away from other humans and will live with the wild animals, you will eat grass like cattle. And when I read that the first time, I was like, man, God punished him and made him a vegetarian. How cruel. <laughs> but that's not it at all. It's just the manner by which he was eating, right? And um, it says, you will eat grass like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you acknowledge that the Most High dominates human kingship given to anyone he wants. And it says it was immediately carried out. He was driven away from other humans and ate grass like cattle. Dew from heaven washed his body until he grew hair like eagle's feathers and claws like a bird. And so Nebuchadnezzar ne yeah, Nebi, goes from being somebody who has everything to being somebody who is now isolated, uh, who's doing all kinds of strange things that he probably never expected to see himself do, probably embarrassing things. Probably thankful there's no such thing as YouTube in his time, right? And um, we, we find in this particular passage that not only does it give a picture of a spiritual downfall, but it also illustrates for us one of the deepest causes of that. And in Nebuchadnezzar's case, it is what? It's pride, right? He is taking credit for everything. He doesn't give any credit to his generals or the people that fought the battles. He doesn't give credit to anything. He especially does not give any credit to God. And he's proud. He's proud of what he has done. And yet, even though he's accomplished all these things, it doesn't bring him any kind of satisfaction. Which is so important for us to pay attention to because you and I, time and time again, we find ourselves thinking only if we could own that, if we could do this, if we could accomplish that, then, then, then we would be happy. And yet Nebuchadnezzar paints this amazing picture of somebody who had it all, and yet his heart still longs for something greater. Like he, if he had not had his life interrupted by God and by what God was doing in his life, he would have just kept on trying to build another kingdom, another city, conquer another place, and it would have just kept on going. And one author puts it, he said, you know, it's like there's a place in our heart that oceans of wealth, power, and glory cannot fill. You know, all that we can imagine, all the wealth, all the power, all the, the things that we think would bring us happiness. And he says, yet our hearts tell us time and time again that, that those things don't satisfy. And so Nebuchadnezzar finds himself under the punishment of God, that he is now sentenced to go and live like the wild animals, 
to eat like the cattle do. And um, maybe you have come across people that have that same kind of situation, you know? Maybe it is that they are so caught up in their addiction that they are not who they used to be. Or maybe it is that they have made a series of decisions that have led to the destruction of their marriage or the loss of their job or a strain on their relationships or, or whatever the case might be. And you look at them and you go, they are just not in their right mind. They are not who I remember them to be. And then we could probably all tell stories of folks that you know, they were living a perfectly good life, things were going well for them, and then just a few bad choices, and they are in a spot that we never imagined possible. And this is where Nebuchadnezzar finds himself. And thankfully, it's not the end of the story for him. In fact, what we find is that God graciously works in his life again. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes to the heaven, my reason returned to me, and I praised the Most High. I worship and glorify the one who lives forever because his rule is everlasting. His kingdom is for all time. All the earth's inhabitants are nothing in comparison. The Most High does whatever he wants with heaven's forces and with earth's inhabitants. No one can contain his power or say to him, what do you think you are doing? So at that moment, my reason returned to me. My honor and splendor came back to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my associates and my princes wanted to be with me again. Not only was I reinstated over my kingdom, I received more power than ever before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, worship, magnify, and glorify the kingdom of heaven. All his works are truth. All his paths are justice. And he is able to humble all who walk in pride. And so in this amazing way, God works in his life, and all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar goes from somebody who is prideful, self-centered, and broken to being somebody who is openly worshiping God and magnifying and glorifying God. And it's just such an amazing thing to think about, the kind of transformation that happens. So as you think about that, and you think about this is somebody who has gone from being far off and distant from God to somebody who is now worshiping and praising God in a powerful and mighty way. Um, I just want you to stop and consider, like, you know, where are you along that, those two ways of living? You know, if you're at the spot where you're far off from God, where you're doing things that you're not proud of, that you know others would be embarrassed of, uh, or are you at a place where... You love and worship God above all things and above all people. You know, where, do you, where do you find yourself in that? If we're on the far side of things, if we are struggling with our faith, if we're struggling with God, then chances are we probably have the same kind of condition that Nebuchadnezzar had. It was like his, his life became shut off from God, that he not only closed the door from God off, closed all the windows, all the shutters, and held the door back. You know, his heart turned in upon itself, and he is self-centered, far from God. You know, and that's a horrible place to be. It's filled with guilt and with shame and with all kinds of fears, but that's where he was. And um, there are many people that have talked about that kind of condition, about that that sense of pride that we are our own masters, we're our own makers, and it all depends upon us. Um, and 
when you think about that, you know, those people in your lives, or maybe it's something you're struggling with, when we're self-centered, you know, one writer said, it's like, it's like cosmic plagiarism, you know, that we're taking credit for, for what God has done. And if we're in that place, then we're not going to be grateful. We're going to feel entitled. We're going to think that God isn't giving us everything that we are due. Uh, if we're in that place, we're also not going to be gracious or kind to other people. We're going to look upon their flaws with a great deal of hatred and a great deal of um, anger toward them because they aren't perfect as we are, right? Um, or we're afraid that they're going to realize who we truly are. Uh, and it's just a, a profound thing that when we become that self-centered and that self-focused that we just grow distant and farther and farther away from God. There was a, a college study that was done by a professor, and he somehow set it up to where he was able to tell what kind of people would stop to help uh, a homeless person. You know, they had some kind of artificial setup to where he could mark, and he would say, these kinds of people that drive these kinds of cars, uh, and he could begin to predict which of those cars would stop. And it's as you could kind of suspect, you know, he, he said that if they drove luxury cars, they were less likely to stop and to help the homeless or the poor. You know, they didn't want to associate or, or whatever the case might be. Um, and what was odd about that study was not only was it the luxury cars uh, that you would probably name off in your own head, I'm not going to do so because some of you might drive one and I don't want you throwing things after me at me later, right? Uh, but the, the funny one to me was like, one of the top ones on the list was not a luxury car. It was a Toyota Prius. And I was like, well, that's strange. We own one of those. We, we help the poor, right? And, uh, but I was thinking about it. I guess, you know, if you think to yourself, I get good gas mileage. I'm saving the environment. Therefore, I don't need to help. <laughs> that's the case for them, right? But when we focus upon our own glory and our own majesty, we're less likely to help other people as well. I know, I know, I know, this is not fun stuff to talk about, but let me just get through it. Um, the other, other reality of that is if we're self-centered, if we are selfish, uh, one of the things that we can do to figure that one out is that if we are constantly at odds with people who we think are selfish and self-centered, you know, if we know what they are up to because it's going on in our own hearts, that's another way we can tell. And then uh, finally, you know, it's hard for us to struggle against this, especially in the rise of social media, right? Where everything needs to be posted, where we only post the good things and the great things and the things that are going well in our lives and never talk about the truth. Over and over again, we are a people that are in need of God's intervention to help us with our sins, especially with pride. And what I find so profound about this scripture are the words that Nebuchadnezzar says, he says, my reason returned to me, and I praised the Most High. My reason returned to me, and I praised the Most High. And I love those words, and they stuck with me uh, for a number of reasons. But, but one of the things is that uh, when you talk to people that are in the recovery process from addiction, step number two in the 12 steps is what came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You know, that Nebuchadnezzar needed a power greater than himself to restore himself to sanity. That we need a power greater than ourselves to restore us to a place 
where we see things as they truly are, right? That we need a power greater than ourselves to speak to us and say, the way you're living your life is getting the results that you are getting. Don't you want to try something else? A power greater than ourselves is going to speak into our lives and give us instruction and lead us and guide us. And that's what I find so great about that. You know, he has this epiphany, this awakening, this reality where nobody else could help him, yet God could. God and his love and his grace works in Nebuchadnezzar's life and restores him, puts him back in a place where he can once again be king, a new king that worships and gives glory to God. Now that's great for Nebuchadnezzar. You can now go home and you can win at Jeopardy, right? When that comes up, you can, you can win that one. Um, but does it still happen today? Is this still, still a reality for our life? You know, these are great stories. I love them. I think they have a lot of truth. And I'm always amazed when you bump into them. And there's two that I just want to share with you. The first is uh, about a lady named Danielle Strickland. And Danielle now is a force when it comes to helping people get out of human trafficking. She's an amazing lady. And she, when she gives her testimony, she talks about that that was not always her life. That in fact, uh, even though she grew up in a Christian household, she wandered and went astray from where God was. And that by the age of about 19 or 20 years old, she was living on the streets, she was homeless, and she had a really horrible drug addiction. And she said one night she had been busted once again and she was arrested and she was in the jail of a courthouse in Toronto. And she was there sobering up, chemicals still at work in her body. And uh, out of nowhere, there was a lady from the Salvation Army down the street who came over, and somehow she knew Danielle as well, and the police apparently led her into the, the jail cell. And all the lady did was go in, give Danielle a hug, and say, I love you. And then the lady left. On the way out, Danielle said, well, you could bring me a cigarette then, right? And, um, but she left. And Danielle said the next thing that happened changed her life forever. She said somehow or another, Jesus appeared to her. And Jesus showed up, said the exact same words that that lady had, I love you. She said, however, this time, that love was there to stay. And she said it was like the sun breaking on the morning, that suddenly Jesus was the light in her darkness that her life began to be filled more and more with Christ and less and less with sin and addiction. And she went on to do great things. And the other story I have is strikingly similar. Uh, in this case, it's by a lady named uh, Nadia Bowles Weber. And um, she said that around 17 or 18, she was a full-blown alcoholic, had a drug addiction, and about the same time that all of her friends were headed off to college to go and do what they were going to do, she found herself 
in a two-bedroom apartment with eight other junkies. And she said, um, it's just always one of the more profound testimonies, she said that her epiphany, her moment when God awakened her to what was going on was like a harsh interruption. She said, just like all of a sudden she woke up, she looked around at her life, and she realized that was not what God wanted for her. She very humorously says, it was like God picked her up and said, okay, honey, that was real cute. We're going to put you over here now, right? And she's now a Lutheran pastor, you know. And the time and time again, story after story, you know, we can testify to a God who graciously interrupts, breaks in, changes and restores, sets right, heals, and loves each of us and each broken person that we meet and know and pray for and sigh for, God is at work in their lives as well. And we don't know when that day might come. We don't know what period it might be before they wake up like Nebuchadnezzar or are the others that we have can testify about. But to know that God is at work in their life and that a power greater than themselves is going to restore them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we give you thanks for who you are. You're far greater than anything that we could come up with. You're far greater than anything that we could achieve. That you alone are worthy of our praise and our thanks and our generosity. And that nothing compares to you. Lord, in this time, we do pray for those who are struggling whose lives are just about themselves, who are unable to get past their own selfishness and their own self-seeking ways. We pray, Lord, that your grace and your mercy would fall upon them this day, that they would know the love that you alone have for them and that you have a life for them that they never thought possible or never imagined. Lord, we know that because of your love for us in Jesus Christ, all things.